Colin is our preacher for today, and I'm going to pray for him before he shares. Father, we just thank you for Colin. We thank you for the man that he is and um, the word that you've laid on his heart, Lord. May we be open to um, what you have to share, Lord God. Father, we ask that he would just be courageous, courageous and bold um, as he listens to your spirit and as he speaks through your word and your truth, Lord. Father, may cut into our hearts, Lord God, and really transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, TC. I like your haircut. Okay, so put up your finger like this if you were here last week. And you can wave that finger at the people that were skipping last week. No. Uh, welcome to church. You guys, my name is Colin. This is the second part to our study on the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony. Now, we have to get right to it because I don't have a lot of time. So I'd like to call Allison to come up and Joshua Patterson. So give them a hand as they come up. You stand right here. You stay over there. Okay, stay. Okay. So we're going to do like a little object lesson so that you guys can have it cemented in your mind, the steps and process of how... Um, like a wedding uh, ceremony would have taken place in the time of Jesus, okay? So Allison is going to represent the bride, wave, Hi. and Joshua is going to represent the bridegroom, okay? So we're going to go through the steps lightning quick, so please pay attention. So what would have happened first is the bridegroom takes the initiative, this is his father's house by the piano, and he leaves his father's house and he travels to where the bride is. Okay, travel, travel, travel. He has the bride already sort of in mind. He comes to her village, her town, and then he meets, I'll be Allison's father for this, and then he says, hi, I'd like to marry your daughter. I can do this, I have this kind of land, this is my job, I'm willing to pay this price, which is like a dowry or um, whatever you want to say. So the father then says, oh yeah, okay, fine, we agree. And then what happens is we enter into like the formal betrothal ceremony. And what happens at this point is there's a glass of wine. Let's pretend that's wine. Just put your hand out. There you go. You take a sip and then pass it to her. She takes a sip and then they are married. Okay? So clap for them. Sharing the, the cup of wine, having a sip each, then they're married. Now, this is where it gets really different from what we're used to. At this point, it would be like, you know, honeymoon, beginning of life for us. But in the ancient Jewish time, then what happened is they enter into a, a period of separation. Okay? But before he goes, and this is not the same as the price, but the bridegroom then give some gifts to his bride. Like, it would be like gold earrings or silver or something like that. So just kind of go like that. There you go. <laughs> and then the bridegroom departs, okay? He goes back to his father's house. Go on. What's understood is that he has... Yeah, you wait there. What's understood is that he's gone back to his father's house to prepare a dwelling place for him and his future bride. So he's actually building an addition to his father's house. He's making a new room where him and his bride can live together and start their family. So that's understood to be usually one year. Now, Allison's not just hanging out, eating bonbons while Josh is gone. She's preparing the wedding garment. And 
What that means is she's sewing her wedding dress, okay? And don't ask me what it would have looked like, but apparently it would be a very complex, like, nice dress type thing. So while he's making a house, she's making a dress. All the while, the two of them are expected to be faithful to each other because they're married. And even though they're separated, they have to only be committed to the, the one and the other. This, um, we run into this concept when Joseph comes back and finds Mary pregnant, okay? That would have been very shocking for him because he was married to her. But they were in this time of holy separation. So Joseph had every right to divorce Mary at that point. But we all know how that story goes. So anyways, Allison's preparing the wedding garment. Josh is building the house. And then after about a year, it's time for him to go and collect his bride. So she doesn't know the exact time or day, but him and his best man, this is going to be me now, we travel so that we arrive in the town, and I, he kind of waits here, and then I go ahead, and I say, Josh is coming. And Allison goes, oh, my goodness, I got it ready. Runs to her house, and her girlfriends, they get ready, puts on the garment, and so when, walk over here, Josh, walk over here, it's very nice. He comes to collect his bride. Now, at this point, this is where the party begins. The, the girls that would be with Allison, they'd have these little lamps with oil in it. And Josh and his buddies, they'd have the, the lamps too. And it would be evening. And we'd light the little lamps and we'd do a procession back to the father's house. And it would be this beautiful scene. Yeah, you got to come too. <laughs> it's the whole point. And we go back to the father's house and we have a big feast. And there's... Um, wine and dancing and song and it's really a good thing it would last about seven days and then they would be joined forever okay so can we give them a hand thank you guys thanks Allison perfect thanks Josh good job okay so can you guys picture it great so last week if you were here we went through the first three steps all the way up to the point where they shared the glass of wine and now today what we're going to talk about is the latter half the presentation of the gifts, the departure of the bridegroom, the making of the garment, and when the bridegroom returns. So let's just get started. The gifts to the bride. We see it in Genesis 24. Abraham's servant, he has like gold rings um, and silver, and he gives it to Rebecca. And he sort of like adorns her with these, this jewelry. And then her uncles see it, her father sees it, and they go, oh, okay, well, yeah, we want to talk to this guy. The gifts that are given are a testimony to the standing of the groom. It shows how wealthy he is. It shows how powerful he is. So if it's a giant gold bracelet, you know the guy is rich, right? If he has just like a little tiny thing, you can kind of understand his standing in life from the amount of gifts that he gives to somebody. Uh, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. This step parallels our salvation perfectly. When we give our lives to Jesus, he not only saves us from sin, we enter into his family, but he gives us the empowerment and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? That's, it's, it's an exact parallel. We get 
a gift that's different from the price that he paid for us to be saved. The price was his blood shed on the cross, and the gift that he leaves with us is the Holy Spirit. Um, So yeah, these gifts are shadows of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit before he left. He foretold to his disciples that they'd receive the Spirit to comfort them, to teach them, and to bring them power from God above. This is in the book of Acts where he says, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. Then you'll receive power. So the gift of the Holy Spirit, it enables us for for the life that we're going to live when we're separated from Jesus. Are you guys with me? Great. So, the Holy Spirit is our greatest resource to build the church and accomplish the works of God. His presence prepares us for the reality that we are going to be separated from the person of Christ. It's kind of this interesting thing when you become a Christian. You go through this huge emotional moment. You know that you're with God now. People talk, you know, there's praying, crying, everybody's so happy. And then the next day, you kind of come to this realization that it's like, oh, he's not actually here. He's not here in the same sense that we're here with each other. And it creates this conflict, I think, in our brain where we have to sort of drum up excitement time and time again and convince ourselves that we're into it. Has anybody gone through this this feeling where we have to drum up faith yet again because we feel far from God because we haven't had like a, a big experience with him? Well, I believe that the Holy Spirit is the answer to this and that being sensitive to him and realizing he's with us we can sort of, we can survive those lonely times. So, passion fades in our spiritual experience. But remembering that Jesus sent the, the Holy Spirit as a comforter can get us through those times. The, um, the concept kind of goes like this. Just give me one second here. Do, do, do. Yeah. So, The groom leaves, the bride stays. The expectation is that she stays faithful and she's making her garment. Two difficult tasks. We're going to start with the faithful one. The Holy Spirit empowers you to do this. I want to read this verse to you guys. Ephesians 1.13. It says this, And in him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, having heard and believed the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, it's not just our power, it's also a promise. Ephesians calls it a pledge. The same idea is of a seal. It's something that God has set upon somebody that he saved that nobody can undo. It's proof that nothing can separate us from the love of God, even ourselves, really. We can... um, It doesn't matter what we're going through. Because God's placed that seal and deposit on us, it cannot be broken by man. This idea, when you encounter a seal, like the idea of a seal or a pledge in the Bible, um, we see it in Daniel when he's locked in the lion's tomb. And it says that uh, the king set his seal like wax on the the edge of the, the opening or whatever. And it said that Daniel's fate could not be changed because that seal was upon it. So you guys, everybody here that's a believer in Jesus Christ, you have that same powerful seal set upon you. Again, Ephesians says, and in him you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So when you feel far from God, 
Remember that the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Remember that there's been something set upon you that, that can't be broken, that can't be undone by this world. It's one of the hardest things for me to watch somebody that's passionate about God, that's following God, decide to stop following him. Uh, I don't know if you guys have gone through that too, seen somebody walk away from their faith. But I have hope that even when they do that, there's still something inside of them. If they made that, that choice, that God, his work can't be undone in them. So, the spirit, the gift of the spirit is a tangible representation of our salvation. It's a promise that our bridegroom will return for us. And this, in my mind, guys, establishes like the strength of the relationship that we have with God. And because we understand that we're connected to him in a way that can't be broken, it empowers us to do things. Knowing where we stand with him, we're then empowered to go into the world and represent him. Uh, I want to read from Revelation 19, verse 7. It says this, Let us rejoice and celebrate and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. She was given clothing of fine linen, linen bright and pure, and listen to this, for the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saint. Now remember, when the bridegroom's gone, the task of the bride is to prepare her garment, okay? Revelation says it so plainly, the fine linen she wears is the righteous acts of the saints. We're not just supposed to sit and wait after we get saved. We're not just supposed to hang out and wait for Jesus to come back. It would have been shameful in those days if over the course of the year when the bridegroom was preparing and he came back for his bride and she wasn't ready. She was to be diligent, faithful, and be prepared. And it's the same for us. I've heard many times since I've been a member of this church of, you know, it's not about what you do. It's not about um, works. It's, it's not performance-based. And I agree with that 100%. But if you're rooted in Christ and the Holy Spirit then you're actually authorized and, authorized and expected to have works in your faith. The Bible says faith without works is dead. We have to be active and ready. It's expected of us. He's gone away. John 14 says this, Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back and take you with, and take you to be with me, to be where I am. This is the promise of Christ. We know that he's faithful, okay? We know that he's not going to let down his part of the bargain. And I just want us to be sort of daring enough to think that we could be a church that's rooted in the Holy Spirit, that's not afraid to go out and try things that if we know that we're rooted in Jesus, that it's his Holy Spirit, or that it's the Holy Spirit that motivates us, we'd feel free to do things. And we wouldn't even have to worry about uh, this faith being performance-based. So, the wedding garment is a representation of the works we do as a church. And what's really cool about this is the Holy Spirit works differently through each believer. And he kind of testifies a different aspect of God's character 
Um, and like I say, the idea of performance-based religion is solved in this concept. We can't be false in our motives if we are submitting to the will of God. He works through us. We become ambassadors of his gospel. If we're left on our own to build the church, it'd be a total nightmare. We don't even want to, like we just imagine what man would build. But when we have the spirit guiding us, beautiful things happen. And this to me is the most beautiful part about being a Christian. It's really fun. It's been really fun over the years to watch like in the youth, the young adults, and all you guys, to see how God's Spirit works through you. In this time of separation from Jesus, we testify to the world. We're his representation on earth. We're the way that he chose to bring people to him. And the gift of the Spirit is the way that we do that. I want to go through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the Spirit, given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that same Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So... The Holy Spirit gives us the power to stay faithful to Jesus, to not stray from him. And the Holy Spirit gives us the power to testify to the world, to have the Spirit work through us so that people would be drawn closer to God. And we do this, we stay active in this, because we never know when he's going to come back. And there's just this moment, or like, uh, there's this concept that there's no set date, there's no set amount of time. People are always trying to figure out exactly when Jesus will return. I remember, I'll tell you guys a quick story. When I was growing up, uh, my experience of Christianity was mostly through my next door neighbors who were really devout Christians. And uh, they went to church like three times a week. And every time I went over, they were reading the Bible. And they're great people. I, I still am close to them today. And as a child, I remember the message that stuck out the most was this concept that Jesus would return at just some mystery moment and take people. And I remember as a small child being like, what? <laughs> like, I, I couldn't, it seemed unfair to me somehow. And these guys, they lived on a big farm and I would work uh, in the summer times with them. And there's even a verse in Matthew, it says two will be working in the field and then one will be left. And I remember I'd be working in these fields and I'd always be like, just checking to make sure because I developed this paranoia that I would somehow be left behind when, because I, I had no concept of how, how it worked. And I was telling my wife a story last night of, it was one summer, they went on a trip and they're like, oh yeah, we'll be back in a couple weeks. And uh, I'm like, oh, okay, sure. But your kids, you don't really have a good concept of time. And so I started to get anxious after like a week and a half when their house was empty. And so I would like sneak over and look in their windows because I was paranoid that the rapture had occurred and that Jesus had come to take them away. You know what I mean? So 
For me, this is a lesson that I've, that I've thought about for a long time. But in the concept of the Jewish wedding ceremony, we understand how we can be ready for that moment. Okay? Matthew 24, 44 says this. Jesus speaking. For this reason, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Working together as a church, building the church, testifying to the world, we have to just keep in the back of our mind that this is a distinct possibility, that tomorrow could be our last day here in the way that we understand it. It's not really popular to talk about in Christianity anymore. It's kind of a, it seems weird to talk about these subjects now. But I believe we're doing a disservice to ourselves and to the world when we diminish this possibility that, that any moment Jesus could return for us. We have to be prepared. And we do that by doing the righteous works of God. And when I think about this church, what that looks like in my mind is just building with each other, doing outreach, sharing the gospel, worshiping together, praying together, essentially just being a church. So if the communion people could start passing the stuff out. In all these things that we've talked about over these two weeks, what sticks out to me the most is that God is longing to have a lasting relationship with you. That he longs to set his seal on you. He longs to give you his Holy Spirit. He wants to work through you. And that no matter what happens, no matter what you go, you say or do, that he's always with you. He'll never give up on you. No matter what, he's faithful. We stray we fall away from him, we follow other gods, we, we forget about him, but he always is forgiving us and drawing us back. He's never going to change in that aspect. And to me, it makes him worthy to be praised, to be worshipped, to give our adoration and our devotion to. I think as a church, that has to be the only thing that we can be dedicated to, to loving Jesus, following Christ, and inviting people into that relationship first not a program or a denomination or anything like that, but to have a relationship with God in heaven. So I guess if the worship team wants to come up. We're going to do communion, and I want to remind you that this like, um, step, it goes back to the Jewish wedding as well, when the bride and groom are connected. And think of the Last Supper when Jesus said, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. This wine, he said, is my blood. And it was in that moment when he shared wine with his church that they became his bride. And we're going to do communion now together in remembrance of that moment. But before we do, I just want to finish up. My prayer in my heart for today's message was just to remind you guys of these simple truths that we have to remain in God and abide in him we're going to go back to Revelation which is looking forward and in this book in chapter 2 Jesus he dictates letters to seven churches okay seven sort of aspects of the bride and in uh, his letter to Ephesus I believe that just stick it there if you don't mind thanks man and in his letter to Ephesus, 
I believe there's something for us today. He says this, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Jesus. He says this, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. And Jesus says this, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Guys, let's take this lesson. You can do whatever. You can be the best church in the whole city. But if you forget your first love, well, then you know that Jesus will hold that against you. And I don't want to be in that place. Let's always be a church that remembers that we're saved because of what he did. That we have the Holy Spirit because of of what he gave up on the cross. And that at the end of all of this, we get to go and be with him forever. So repent and do the things you did at first remembering that we love Jesus. So I want to pray for you guys. Or sorry, we're going to start communion now. Does everybody have their stuff? I don't know if we're ready. Tara says we're ready. So communion. If you're a believer and you want to join us in this, you're totally invited. If you're not a believer and you don't know what this is about, I'd invite you to just observe what's going on and kind of reflect on what you've heard today. So we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. So let's take the bread and eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So let's drink the wine together. So when we do this, guys, when we do communion together, we're looking back at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We're celebrating our salvation through Jesus as a church family and our unity as believers. And also we're looking forward to the return of Jesus when we can be with him forever. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, We're going to have prayer on the side coming up if you guys want to come and do that. If you have any more questions about this stuff, I'd love to talk about it. Yeah, thank you very much for listening.